Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Eleanor Powells. She works at the Woodrow Wilson um, Scholar Institute in Washington. And um, her introduction, I'm definitely going to bungle, so I'm going to have her do it. But uh, Eleanor, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much, Richard. It's a pleasure to be with you. Very exciting afternoon. Uh, yeah, indeed. So by official terms, uh, I'm at the Wilson Center, and I'm the Director of Biology Collective within the Science and Tech Innovation Program. So Biology Collective is all about enabling the democratization of genomics and biology uh, for, for and with the people, basically. So, you know, the kind of issues I'm dealing with is I'm playing with this idea of um, with the new biocitizen in an Internet of Living Things, how do we democratize biology to empower every one of us from, you know, preserving ecosystems to personal health to fighting the antibiotic crisis and, and, and pollution. And so I try to think about the funding and innovation model and governance model for that kind of democratization and how the lab of the future will look like when we enable that form of democratization. So it's going to be an intelligent, connected, and decentralized biolab uh, that, can, that can basically empower every one of us to understand genomics and, and use biology. Okay. And now what project or projects are you working on right now that you're either most excited about or that, you know, you want to discuss? Well, basically, I've been, you know, beyond this idea of uh, democratization of biology, I've been looking at the implications of converging technologies. And one area that I find very interesting is the convergence of genomics and artificial intelligence. And I would say that, you know, I see my mission or my my place in the research ecosystem as someone who wants to um, unveil some of the societal and democratic controversies around uh, converging technologies. And so questions like, you know, who will own the genetic secrets, um, the, the, the secrets mm. in our genes, basically, and what, how much agency do we have uh, on our medical futures? Those are all questions I would like to discuss with, you know, different layers of society and make sure that people are aware of and so I see myself as a as a futurist, but equally interested in people um, and technology. What what happened with the human genome? I thought uh, Craig Venter and some other people were trying to patent part of it. Was that ever allowed? You know, what's the current state of law as it as it pertains to the human genome? Well, the human genome is is public knowledge. I mean, it has been sequenced. So basically, you know, where we sit now is that. Uh, we have sequenced it so we can we can see the letters in the book in the book of life. Uh, they are visible to us, but we still on, we still don't understand all the relationships between the words and basically the grammar of those sentences of the sentences inside the book of life. So we're still trying to understand, you know, the uh, relationships between different genetic systems inside our genome, how different genes interact and influence each other, and how they get regulated and how they get expressed, basically. So it's basically really if you, you know, you have a book, you can see the words, but you're not sure what they mean, and you're not sure what the sentences, uh, you know, mean together, basically. So that, that's where we stand. But 
you know, one, one area that I think is going to be uh, really transformative is that convergence between artificial intelligence and genomic technologies, including uh, powerful genomic sequencing and genome editing. Because what happened is basically, um, if you can use intelligent systems and intelligent algorithms um, to try to decipher those, those relationships between our genes and between those different genetic systems inside our cells, will gain an extraordinary amount of information about, you know, what makes us sick, what makes us healthy, uh, how we age, how our cell functions, and basically a, a, a total other reading of our health and, and our medical futures. So that's where we stand in terms of, you know, big genomics. It's big data and big okay. genomics. How, how complicated is the human genome and the possibilities of gene expression and understanding all these processes? Is it unbelievably complicated? and, and yeah. It is it is very complicated. Um it is also, you know, an uncharted territory. Basically, you know, if you think of of using AI for example to have uh, self-driving cars. I mean, we know how to drive and we know what's supposed to happen on the road. And so we basically know how to teach intelligent systems how to uh drive cars. But the problem with genomics is that we don't necessarily know what we are looking for. We are trying to understand uh, what are the functions of all all of our genes, but also what's the impact of one genetic mutation on the overall genome, and uh, what's the what's the whole of a specific gene in a genetic system and its regulation, and so that that gets really pretty complicated. Uh, what's also really interesting there is that it's it's personal, right? So you have you have your own uh, mutations that pop up during your life uh, that are related to different factors we don't fully understand. Could be the environment, could be pollution, could be just hazard. And so you can get specific mutations that might lead to a bigger probability of getting cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, other forms of cancer. And we're still trying to really understand that. So basically understand how our genome is evolving, you know, day by day, year by year, and how it's being influenced by our lifestyle, our behaviors, uh, different, kind of, uh, different kind of data. And that's where I think you will see artificial intelligence as basically, you know, uh, a really transformative power here. Because if you look at some companies, uh, especially in China, that are getting in the space of genomics and artificial intelligence, what they hope to do, and I find that mind-blowing, but what they hope to do is really... Um, try to have an AI monitoring system that would put together, that would try to find the relationships between your genotype, your phenotype, so your genomics data, your physiological data, your behavioral data, and your lifestyle. And so basically you could have a data ecosystem that will connect the biology of thousands, maybe millions of people, uh, to try to understand how their genes interact, um, how they age, and how also disease and aging manifest itself in our, you know, in our cells, in our organs, um, how lifestyle affects morbidity, and how we react to different kind of treatments. So the vision of you know, tech investors I talk to and people I work with is that in the future we will have a digital version of us, a form of a DNA avatar, basically, that will monitor in real time how our genome uh, is evolving. And that will probably deliver you know, immense clues about uh, how, how well we are doing and how we are thriving uh, as a species. You said have a, a, a genome avatar. What would that look like? Can you talk a little bit more detail about how that would work and what yeah. the data is that it consists of? So 
What makes this possible is basically um, the democratization of technology and the really high-speed development of technologies there. So what would happen is that you would have a smartphone application uh, where you would record you know, most of your vitals, most of your uh, physiological and clinical data. So basically you would have the, uh, the equivalent of your medical folder, your medical file, in that application, you would also record your sleep, record you know how much you move during a day, what you eat, so your intake in calories, um, your glucose level, all of those basically you know daily vitals, and your genome would be sequenced and would also be part of of that huge amount of data about yourself, and so all of those you know big data sets would be connected. And you have access to it, and you streamline data using your smartphone application. But all of those all of those data sit in a cloud, basically, in a connected cloud, where it gets content constantly analyzed by algorithms. So you have you know intelligent algorithms running through those data and trying to establish connection between your different vitals and your different uh, your different data. And based on that, you know we could try to, um, to, to to predict, basically, what your probability of getting certain cancer is, what your probability of getting diabetes in the future could be, uh, what your probability of getting Alzheimer's could be. So, you know, it's, it's basically what makes this possible is the fact that we are much, much, much better at genomic sequencing, right? So we can now sequence human genomes at a very high speed, and we can store those data, but we can also use portable genomic sequencing. So I don't know if you heard about that company, Oxford Nanopore. They created a portable genomic sequencer. It's the size of a USB, uh, a USB stick. You can have it in your pocket. You can link that to your cell phone. And so you could basically uh, do a liquid biopsy, analyze your blood sample or analyze your bodily fluid on a real time and much more often than, you know, going to the doctors. I mean, you go to the doctor maybe once a year, twice a year, depending on your needs. This would be a real-time assessment of your basic vitals, right? And that would be decentralized. That could be in your home, in my home, anywhere. And basically those data would get streamlined to the cloud where your genome, your genome sits. And, and that way you can predict, you, you can basically monitor what happens. You know, imagine you have to think about this as a dynamic system. So when you drink wine, uh, your DNA in your liver cells start to get damaged. When you get sunburn, your DNA in your skin cells start to get damaged. So if you monitor all of those data on a constant basis, you have a baseline, right? And you could start to look at when things are changing. When do you get a certain amount of cells that present very damaged DNA? Well, that would be a, that would be a warning. That would be a signal that maybe you are, you know, on the on the edge of developing certain kind of cancer, or would your glucose level be always too high? What does that mean in terms of getting diabetes? So you see, that's that's really another way of thinking about our health, our data, um, and 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 basically also emerging between us and and our digital versions that I find just you know really fascinating. Very interesting. Do you, um, how far along are you in, or is anyone in implementing an AI system that can do some or all of these things you're talking about? I mean, where are we at and how much more is there to go before we even get to some kind of a solution? So we are just really at the beginning of this. Uh, if you look at, you know, the map, uh, the map of our world, you see 
really powerful nation uh, investing in AI uh, with huge amount of, uh, of investments. It's basically China, the US, uh, Germany. Those are the leaders. Um, so it, it, you know, it shows you that there is really an interest in using that tool as a transformative platform. Uh, what we can do now is that we can use AI for basically looking at uh, scans or looking at you know, images of your body. And we already see that AI systems are somewhat better than individuals at looking you know, at those scans and finding patterns that reveal skin cancer or that can reveal different kind of lung cancer. Um, so there is something systematic about AI that's really useful in, in looking at different, you know, big data sets. And what's the power behind uh, AI is also that artificial intelligence basically functions by looking at relationships between different big data sets, but also learning from those correlations, right? So there is a, a constant improvement of the learning techniques. So for now, we use this basically for parsing huge amount of data, and there are basically scans or... Um, you know, uh, pictures of your moles on your skin. So those are already kind of uses for cancer. But when we will have, and basically this depends more on the human dimension than the tech dimension, but when we will get enough genomes registered, enough people streaming their own data, that's when we will get, you know, a huge competitive advantage in understanding other forms of, of disease and other forms of health aspects. I guess maybe the first step would be I mean, to sequence someone's genome, what is it now? It's about a thousand dollars, and how long does it take to do? And you know, yeah, I guess I guess that needs to become really easy, and maybe even done amazingly, maybe with a smartphone or something. You know, or just like a blood stick. You know? Yeah, exactly. And it depends, you know, what you, what kind of data you want. If you want your full genome, uh, yeah, it's still close to one thousand dollars. Uh, if we were getting more and more, you know, if you look at more law and, and data uh, data improvements, I mean, this could get less expensive uh, in, a, in a few years. But basically, you don't always need to sequence your whole genome. You could also um, just, you know, sequence the content of a blood sample or a bodily fluid. If you look at what Google is doing, you know, their new spin-off, Verily, they are now interested in getting tears, um, tears, sweat, blood samples from, I think it's about 10,000 people, and try to basically monitor those data on a constant basis. So you could learn, you could have your genome, you know, sequence once uh, for probably a few years or something like that, and then you would have your bodily fluids and your, and your blood being sequenced on a much more constant basis, basically. But uh, there is no way the price is going to stick. Uh, it's going to stick at that level. That's just a question of how many patients, how many citizens you can get in, in the game, basically. What you were saying about the smartphone application, you know, that notion of decentralized, decentralized genomic sequencing, that's really the key too. Uh, I, I see how those technologies are not going to stay, you know, in the lab, but they are going to get much more decentralized. If you look at what happened in the last, you know, five years. One company in the U.S., Illumina, has been, you know, the, the big power, the powerhouse for genomic sequencing. Uh, they are being challenged slowly by other companies that are looking at other uh, methods for genomic sequencing that could basically lead to a more decentralized version of, of, uh, of those machines. So you could use those USB, USB sticks. You could have, you know, smaller sequencers that you could have at home. Uh, that you could have in different hospitals. If you look at what happened now, you know, um, 
basically where you can get the best cancer cancer care in this country are in a few hospitals in the big in the big capitals right new york uh, on the west coast in boston but in the future we will have to democratize those technologies so they can get to you know really different places in in the us and in europe and and the the whole world hopefully what what do you think would be an amazing um way to get someone's dna and do you think it would be possible in the next five years? Like, what would it look like where it's so simple and so easy it would just, like, amaze you? Or maybe you think it's going to happen, but what do you guess will be possible in five years in terms of, you know, me getting my DNA regularly? Uh-huh. Well, let me let me describe to you what happens already now. So I have a few friends in, in, in the U.K. Um, who worked with Oxford Nanopore to actually get those USB uh, pocket-sized genomic sequencer. And those guys were really courageous. They basically flew to Guinea during the Ebola outbreak, and they started to sequence um, pieces, you know, of, of, of the viruses, of the Ebola viruses, um, to be able to record them, uh, study them, and, and think about treatments and, and vaccines. Um, so they were already able to do that, you know, in 2016, 2015, uh, just, you know, bring basically the sequencing power to the jungle, right? And we have tried that also in a spaceship. You can do genomic sequencing, portable genomic sequencing, um, you know, in a spaceship, even if you don't have, you know how it is, right? I mean, you're floating there. You can you can still do this. We're able to do this already. So that's a, techn- a really big technical uh, feat. If those, uh, if those sequencers would become less expensive, they are still now um, also close to the thousands, so it's just too expensive to be used by everyone. But if the price was dropping, you could see people, probably in something like five years indeed, you could see people using that in their home. So, for example, you know, you have a chronic, um, chronic myeloid leukemia. That means you need to actually check your blood basically every week, every two weeks, uh, to be sure that you know, the level of cancer cell is not returning to a high level, and to be sure that the, the medicines you are taking are actually silencing uh, the genetic mutation that lead to, to leukemia. That means that those people, you know, cannot really travel. They have to go to the hospital every week, every two weeks. They have to be always kind of on call and, and go back there. Yeah. You, could see, you could see in the future people doing that at home, you know, basically just analyzing a few drops of your blood from your finger and, you know, having a a baseline and analysis of what's happening in your blood. That would mean also you could catch, you know, leukemia much before it actually, you know, it actually shows in, in your um, in your in your results, right? I mean, it's it's all kind of afflictions, but especially cancers. The key the key issue here is detection. It's early detection and prevention. With such a baseline system, you could constantly uh, monitor what's changing in your in your genome. And 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 uh, you know have a much uh, more precise and tailored vision of what's happening uh, to you. The only problem is that it might be provided by a company in China. We have to see how how things are developing and how fast they are developing. But China is definitely trying to become the next uh, DNA power. So. so you could, I mean, in in a few years possibly, um, sequencing your DNA could be as easy as uh, you know sticking your finger for your blood sugar. Yeah, exactly. That's the model. Exactly. You got it. So, you know, wow. it's this idea of a lab on a chip technology, right? Um, and, and that's being developed right now. It's already being used. So if you if you can democratize that technology, 
uh, yeah, I can indeed, you know, look for much more than my uh, glucose level. I can look for, um, you know, my resistance to drinking alcohol, uh, my health, you know, when I when when I exercise or when I stop exercises for weeks and months, and I, and I and I can basically monitor that baseline. What you could do too is that you could monitor your environment. You could, you know, uh, basically assess the quality of your food. You could see if there are bacteria you know, salmonella in your food. Uh, you could try to identify if some bacteria are getting resistant to antibiotics and work on this, you know, while you can, basically. So on a much more tailored um, and much more precise basis. In a way, it's kind of crazy that we are still operating, you know, in, in, in disease uh, outbreak. We are still very backward. We are basically waiting for a crisis to happen. And then even when you look at the Zika and Ebola crisis, the data that we're missing were always genomes, genomes of those viruses. Nobody had access to that because you couldn't bring the sequencing power to the jungle, basically, or to the site, right? So you wouldn't know what you were fighting, and if you don't know what you're fighting, you cannot build a treatment, and you cannot build a vaccine. And viruses are always mutating, so you may need to actually have, you know, several kinds of vaccines possible. For that, you need to do constant research. If people, you know, um, in slums, in different kind of environments, in the metro in New York, in airports, if you could analyze genomics data on the skin of people or on their uh, bodily fluids or, and, and have that linked to GPS, you could basically have a digital pathogen surveillance system that would be much, much more efficient than what we do these days. So it goes from personal health to global health. I mean, it's just really interesting. Do you worry about the, um, the dark side of these technologies? Being able to surveil people on a much yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> more fine level, and people, people, um, you know, what if hackers or bad people get access to your DNA and they can craft specific attacks that you're vulnerable to, just you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm more concerned about forms of collective attack than really. Um, Personal, personal attack, basically, because I don't think there is an incentive for that in terms of, you know, greed or money. Or, but I see two things happening. So basically, uh, because of the development in personal, in personal genomics, I think we are getting to a level of much more personalized uh, discrimination, not in terms of attack, more in terms of, you know, access to employment, access to life insurance, access to mm -hmm. care, basically. So I give you two striking examples. Um, I, I read an article recently about a life insurance company that's ready to predict uh, when you will die based on your DNA and how your DNA is aging. And they are basically tailoring your premium, your life insurance premium, based on your telomeres, based, based on your DNA. Uh, that's, that's a terrifying idea to me. Another thing I saw from really close here, because I'm based in D.C., is, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, a GOP bill was making its way uh, on the Hill that was proposing to allow employers to have access to your genetic data. So if you took, you know, a 23 and me test, your employer would have access to it in the context of a wellness program. That's definitely That's a, a, an erosion of our privacy, you see. So another, another really interesting example I was uh, confronted with, so I, I was asked to criticize a ruling coming from, from Singapore. And what happened there is that a court in Singapore decided um, to create this concept of genetic affinity. So basically, they were saying that if a child conceived to IVF is not close enough genetically to his parents or her parents, uh, the parents don't have to 
to bury, you know, to to basically pay for the uh, for the development and the, the education of the child. And I was thinking, you know, in the past, we would have thought about kinship, um, health. Is, is this a healthy baby? Now the, the issue and the concept used by the court was actually genetic affinity, which doesn't make sense to me, but it shows, it shows you how you could have a much more personalized level um, of discrimination. That I'm worried about because I think that our regulation is not ready for this. You know, we have GINA, we have the uh, Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, but this regulation has not been tested enough uh, you know, in front of those new technological developments. And so we need to basically be much more proactive about what could happen. Now, you also mentioned attacks, and that's, that's definitely, definitely what keeps me, you know, um, <laughs> awake at night, basically, is that biology and genomics is becoming digital. It's really becoming, you know, a digital science, basically. So anybody who knows how to create, how to, yeah, perpetrate a, a cyber attack, uh, could basically do do that using using you know a different kind of hacking technique and getting into intelligent and connected labs and sequencers and and maybe create something we don't have you know we don't know how to react to so that's that's definitely something and we are not ready we are already not ready for cyber attacks that are just basic you know um, cyber hacking but we are definitely not ready wow. for cyber plus bio. Taking you back a little bit uh, to the science part is. This part's pretty scary that we just talked about. What have you seen um, affects someone's uh, genes? You know, I, I, I think my, my guess is that the public assumes, oh, my genes are my genes and that's it. But from what I've read and from what I've seen, food can affect your gene expression. Um, you know, what you, um, your environment, I mean, a lot of things can affect literally how your genes express themselves. What have you seen that can affect someone's uh, gene expression. I mean, I, I wouldn't be in measure to tell you what I've seen because, I'm, you know, I'm not in a lab and I, I'm basically uh, not doing that kind of constant monitoring yet. But what you see, for example, developing in uh, in China is that people are not talking about uh, cancer villages in China. So basically, villages where there is such a high level of pollution that uh, um, a majority of the of the population is getting either, you know, lung or throat cancers. Um, so that you, know, you can see there a direct correlation. I mean, I, I don't want to be uh, too daring because you know you would have to look at the at the results. But um, yeah. I was two months ago. I was talking with um, uh, a specialist in, in genomics from Hong Kong University, and he's actually his mission, his life mission right now, is to actually develop liquid biopsies, so blood tests for cancers, because there are indeed so many. Uh, uh, so many of those cancer villages that are now popping up on the map, probably linked to um, you know pollutions and, and different conditions like that. And so in this case, he's actually uh, interested in trying to monitor in your blood um, different kind of signs, genetic markers for, for cancer. Um, something he was telling me too is that you see a new prevalence now in China also of uh, cancers that are linked to viruses. So you know a virus like HPV, uh, can lead at some point, um, and, and it's just a probability, but it can lead to um, cervix cancer. So they are they are seeing more and more uh, of those cancers there, and so the idea would be to develop tests that can actually recognize the viral DNA in your blood and recognize that viral DNA that has been digested by cancer cells already, and that would show you then, um, you know, the uh, the beginning of a, of a cervical cancer. 
So they, they are definitely, you know, changes in your way, your ways of living and pollution and, uh, you know, how much how much activity you also do that that's basically uh, that that pro that has probably probably an impact on um how resistant we become to cancer cancer can also just come you know from a mutation that that basically occurs in your lifetime so you may have uh, you may have in your genome at birth no specific mutation that would link to leukemia you can still during your life uh, have basically, you know, some of your genetic system that just don't function properly and don't copy themselves properly and lead to a mutation that uh, might give you cancer. So it's a, we, we need to see ourselves as dynamic systems, basically dynamic systems that are, you know, where our genome is com constantly evolving. Our genes are in relation and in expression. And we also need to see that in, in our environment, basically, you know, the urban environment, uh, different kind of uh, ecosystems, and and you know afflictions like cancer are afflictions of aging systems, right? But so that means they're also linked to different kind of viral infection you can get, or different kind of um, conditions you can get, like diabetes. All of this is in interrelation, and we're just we're just so bad right now trying to see those those correlations because of the lack of data. Well, I mean, it's uh, we're very very complex organisms and the uh yeah it sounds like the problem lends itself definitely to ai because it's just I, I don't, yeah it's like i don't know how a person could analyze it it seems like that's what it's going to take so it makes sense what you're saying you know? yeah i think it relies on 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 two things on how do we deal with complexity right so how do we manage genetics complexity and uncertainty and for that uh, you will need systems like artificial intelligence that are going to be able to really decipher uh, huge big data sets and that are going to be able to actually create connections between those data sets. But how do you get, you know, data in the first place that are stored and created somewhere for those algorithms to, to run through? You still need to get that data. And that's going to come from a democratization, a decentralization of our tools, of our machines. So portable genomic sequencers uh, is, is one idea. Um, or labs that are more decentralized. So instead of having, you know, big machines with one one company like Illumina in the U.S., would be to have, uh, you know, m much more many labs on the territory that are actually, you know, places where you can get where you can get sequence, where you can get that baseline data to know how well you are doing. And I'm very interested in this space of uh, do-it-yourself biologists, you know, those community biolabs that are actually thriving in the U.S., in Europe, in Asia also now. Um, and that's a movement where people are basically really interested in understanding their biology and the biology of different species around us, uh, or microbiome also. You know, you, you, you might have a teenager there that's trying to understand what the biomarker for ADD is, and he's going to be analyzing his blood sample, sometimes blood samples from other students, and so we need to get informed consent for that. It's, it's just you know fascinating how how young people are learning when they go to those to those places. But you know in the in the town of the future, in the city of the future, I would imagine having many more labs like that around, and people having access to that literacy and and that you know empowering technology basically. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. It's unbelievable. Um, for listeners. What are some resources for people that want to learn more about AI and how it relates to genomes of viruses or people or whatever it may be? That's the first question for you. 
Any yes. recommendations on a book to read, a, a course to take, anything to look at? Sure. I mean, I, I've been working on this for for a while. So, for example, if if you go to to my bio page, and that's kind of <laughs> self publicity, but uh, Eleanor Powell's Wilson Center, you will you will see. I just published uh, a paper on AI and genomics, and I have a new one coming on this new bio citizen and the Internet of Living Things. So uh, you can check that out. Otherwise. Um, you know, think tanks like the New America Foundation and the Embassy of Germany are going to be releasing a new um, report on AI and its implications for society. Um, if you look also at a very interesting group, uh, IEEE, those guys are working on AI and its impact for well-being, its impact for privacy. Um, genomics, I mean... I would tell you, you know what, have a look at the, the community biolabs, Genspace, BioCurious. Um, those guys are just, just really interesting hub where you can actually go and learn about biology. So that's another interesting. It's open to anyone. I mean, you get a membership. But uh, So you have one in Genspace is in New York, Brooklyn. Uh, BioCurious is uh, in San Francisco. You have uh, bugs uh, in Baltimore. If you look at DIY Bio, you can, you can find a lot of those places uh, in the U.S. and in Europe. Um, otherwise, really good book. I mean, uh, The Truth in Small Doses, that's about cancer and genomics and how we should learn more about that. That's an amazing book by one of my friends, um, Clifton Leaf. Uh, there are tons of them. Um, you know, I, you know, also MIT Tech Review. MIT, MIT Tech Review is an amazing magazine, and I basically uh, cherish all the articles written by uh, Antonio Regalado. They are extremely informative, maybe somewhat a little more complex than um, than, than other news newspapers. But uh, yeah, you know, if you look at Gizmodo Wired, every everybody is now getting interested uh, in in our genes. Basically, I think. You know, this century and the next one will be all about genetics. That's the new, the new data, the new data storage. It's our future. Okay. Any other references or uh, you know things you wanted to cover we haven't discussed? Um, I think I think I gave you a few of them. Quite a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You had. I mean, I have a few of my. I I, I gave a TED talk on genome editing um, recently. That's also on the bio page. Oh. Um, yeah. Otherwise. I mean, genome editing has been, you know, the new star, CRISPR, the new star uh, people have been talking about in the world of genetics. Just type CRISPR and genome editing, and you will find, you know, a really big array of resources, articles. Um, the Atlantic, Ed Young, has been writing about uh, portable genomic sequencers, amazing articles. He's a great writer. Um, yeah, so so that that's basically what I what I think you can look for. Great magazines that are covering science. And contrary to what people say, I think we actually have really good writers in this country. I wish there would be more, but um just, you know, really clever minds. Okay. Well, Eleanor, thank you so much for your time. And this is a, again a fascinating subject. I'm going to be looking to do more interviews on this one. So, uh thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Richard. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.